there are certain consumers that react more strongly to influencer marketing and there are other consumers who do not. So I think you have to start there and really dissect the consumer that you're going after. Do they look to influencers as part of their decision-making strategy? Hey guys, I'm Izzy Sapien, a seasoned brand builder in the most elusive and mysterious industry on earth, the glamorous beauty industry. And I'm on a mission to make beauty a better place, starting with this podcast. I've worked in the marketing departments of several major beauty brands and helped build a number of emerging brands from zero to millions. Each week, I'll break down the details of some of beauty's most notorious and untold scandals of today, along with my own personal experiences. But most importantly, my whole reason for doing this podcast is to highlight the beauty and wellness brands, influencers, and trailblazers who are doing it right and deserve a piece of the spotlight. Not to be mistaken for a cancel culture reboot, this well-intentioned tell-all aims to create a space for growth in beauty. I hope you'll join me every week for honest and stripped-down conversations. After all, it's growth that's a thing of beauty. Hey guys, welcome back to A Thing of Beauty. I'm your host, Izzy Sapien, and today I am joined by Sonia. Sonia is a certified consumer marketing strategist with expertise in influencer relations, beauty marketing, social strategy, and brand innovation. I love everything about her approach and bringing modern beauty brands sort of into the social realm and helping them gain visibility and become actual fan favorites. She's ideated and executed campaigns for top beauty brands like Clarence, Cosbar, Kiehl's, Revive, basically anything that you can see in a Saks. And Sonia has some really dope offerings for indie brands too, looking to strategize their influencer relations or craft a product launch. And today we talk about, you guessed it, influencer marketing. The biggest influencer fails is coming in hot and Sonia gives her professional take on what happened, the lasting impact to the brand and what you can do as a beauty brand if this happens to you. And if you don't own a brand, you should definitely still listen in because I don't know about you, but I love hearing about a bunch of rich influencers going Lord of the Flies at a Coachella event. Let's get started. Hey, Sonia, welcome to A Thing of Beauty. I am so excited to have you here today. I feel like online, it's probably your presence. You give off this like best friend vibe. And I just feel like, I probably feel like everyone feels like they're your best friend already at this point. I hope so. It's such a good feeling, but I'm just so excited to have you here today. Also, because we both recently found out we went to WP Carey which is exciting. I mean, it's ASU, so I guess a lot of people went there. But still, you know, it's always fun. Go Devils, first of all. (laughs) But so tell everyone about your background. Sure. So I went to WP Carey. I double majored in marketing and photography. I really wanted to be an artist, but I think the consumer in me knew better. (laughs) (laughs) 
ended up moving to Italy for a while where I got my master's because I really initially thought my focus would be fashion. And it actually was early on in my career. I moved from there directly to New York. I've been here for 15 years almost. It's been a journey. You know, I moved to New York in 2008. Wasn't a great time to be getting a job. And I sort of just started hustling as intern, doing, you know, odd jobs, whatever would pay the bills. And then eventually got an intro to an in-house position in marketing. And I started the social media for a menswear line. And then from there, you know, learned a ton, but it wasn't like it's something that I was super interested in. The product wasn't for me. So I ended up moving over to a new clothing label where actually they hired me to launch with Leandra Medine. And that was one of the first influencer clothing collaborations that had ever existed. At the time, it was like Brian Boy. It was 2014, 2013. So it was pretty wild. So your social media roots run deep. If we're looking at 2008, 2009 would have been like when brands were really getting into using it as a brand building, you know, extension. And like, oh, yeah. I even think the beginning of like intense Facebook ads and stuff like oh, that. Oh yeah. I was definitely running Facebook ads. All of like the giveaways and partnerships I were doing were on Facebook. I think I set up the first Instagram account for two different clients. I joined Instagram personally in 2011. So it was pretty early. And I don't even think that the influencers were called influencers at the time. It was definitely blogger. Yeah. And so... I learned a ton from that experience launching the collab and getting to meet other influencers through various retailers that the collab was being retailed at. And so from there, I moved to a fashion, beauty, and lifestyle PR agency in the city and was the head of digital and kind of spearheaded this movement of brands wanting influencers at every event. Brands want to be connected with the dot-com of every publication. How can they get more Instagram followers? What can they do to get more email subscribers? And it was essentially my job to just sit with every brand and say, this is what I think we could do. So I did that for five years. It was amazing, but it was definitely hectic. You know, it was a lot of travel, a lot of going to LA where many influencers were based, tons of back and forth and just long days. So I think I just hit a breaking point as people do, true burnout. And so I left and I had always had a really entrepreneurial spirit, always wanted to do my own thing. And so I did. And that was actually five years ago to this week. Woo! Happy birthday. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you. Yeah. Five years ago, I went out on my own and my first client was Derma E. Which is a great company incredible company. They've grown so much in the past five years. It's amazing. And then I got an introduction to, you know, fragrances over at Clarence Group for a while. And then from there, I got Clarence Skincare. And I've had Beth Head by TG for all five years. So that brings back so many memories. Like (laughs) So yeah, I've really been rooted in beauty the entire five years, but it's only been in the last year, year and a half that I took hold of it as like more of my personal specialty, even though it was really the writing was on the wall and worked with incredible brands all within the beauty industry. I think for everyone, you know, niching and specializing can be difficult choice, but I finally went for it. And I'm so happy that I did because I just love the beauty, skincare, body care industry. It's so, it's so incredible. 
Well, and you're very well versed. You know, you know a lot about you know industry news and things like that, which it's tough to find somebody. I feel like a lot of people niche when I was working. I mean, I still work in that. I say when, but sometimes it is like a lot of people who came from fashion recently or other personal care, and they're not really just in beauty. So I think that's interesting. And tell us about how it became so much about influencers and creators. Like, how did you get to the point? First of all, what is influencer marketing? Because it actually is a newer term in marketing. Although in digital marketing, I feel like everything's a new term these days. Like we're throwing out words that are like five years old and expect everyone to know them. But tell us what it is. Sure. So, I mean, for me, I think influencer marketing is always evolving. And right now we're really looking at like influencers versus creators and what is the difference and what role do they play in your marketing program? For me, an influencer is just what the name says. It's someone who has influence. So that can be anyone at this point. And I think a lot of people use the term creator economy, which means anyone could be an influencer. And that does not mean that you have to be someone who does this full time. You could be anywhere in the world, be based anywhere. If you have access to social media platforms or the internet, you are able to be an influencer. And that person has some size of audience, whatever it may be. Some are very large and some are very small, which we call micro-influencers. And you have influence over that audience, no matter the size, to get them to purchase something, to get them to believe in something that you have to say. Of course, in beauty, we are looking primarily at they are going to be influenced to purchase a beauty, skincare, body care product. But that's truly what I think influencer marketing is. It's how these people who have influence relate directly back to your brand and the messaging that you ask them to create to influence their followers to purchase the item that you're currently promoting. So when we're looking at creators, are you saying all influencers are creators, but not all creators are influencers? Is that the difference or are they the same? So I think that influencers can be creators. I don't think that all creators are influencers. Yes. I think that creators are more like artists if you will. So creators are really being tapped into because they have an eye for photography, for videography, perhaps it's ASMR, textures. They're maybe not showing their faces frequently and they're not using their personality to sell anything. They're using their talent with an art form in some way to promote a brand. So when we look at creators, I'm looking at them specifically to create content, not to sell an item. Now that content may be used in a way later on, on the brand side to sell the item, but we're not asking them to sell it directly with a code or a link or something else. Oh, I see. Okay. So you could have, you know, a following of 200, 300 and be a creator because you have a talent and a brand could go through you to hire this person to create imagery or whatever. Absolutely. Yeah. That's one of the biggest things that we do. And I think it's because influencing has not created as much of an ROI in the more recent years. It's much more difficult to convince followers to purchase. And that's a a whole variety of reasons. It has nothing to do with the influencer themselves. There are still people who convert and that's wonderful, but it's taking a toll on brands now to find people who really can sell right away. So I think now we have a lot more options in the way that we can use influencers and creators. We can ask them to just create content around themselves or around the specialty that they have. And we can use that in our own social media. We can use that in our own ads. We have a lot of options as to how we can work with people in the space. 
Wow. Okay. So that's interesting. So what are the benefits of finding somebody like you to outsource this? Because I mean, in all reality, it's not like with the bigger brands, I see so much value because who's going to be sitting on Instagram all day looking for these people and trying to find a fit like they're just not going to do that. With the more independent brands, even though someone's wearing a lot of hats or whatever, some of them are more active in social media just on their own because they don't have a ton of employees. So what's the benefit of of hiring somebody like you? Sure. So I think that the benefit is the experience. So as I mentioned, I've been doing this since 2013 with influencers. The amount I've learned in what makes a good influencer strategy in some of the behind the scenes bullet points that you need within your contract, within your scope of work, it's time saving and it's money saving, just like most services at the end of the day. When you hire a professional, you're going to get those two things or you should be for sure. For me, when it comes to indie brands, a lot of times what I'm doing is advising. You're right, because they don't have the huge budgets that some of the larger brands I work with have. I'm coming in at the beginning stages and I'm helping them structure what the next six months look like or what the next product launch looks like. Do we have money to cast influencers? If so, you know, what is the range of followers, I think? What is the scope of work I would suggest that they ask for? What are some of the usage rights we need to discuss in advance? And what are some of the content considerations is what I call it that we need to outline. So natural light versus artificial light. What other products are allowed to be shown? How long should the video be? Do we need to have a voiceover? Does it need to have music? I think there's a lot of very granular considerations that people don't think about. And a lot don't even know what their goal is at the end of the day in using influencers. They know they should be using them, but there's so many ways to do it that I think starting with like, what is your goal even of this campaign (laughs) is super important in backing into like, what are we asking for and what needs to be done to get there? You know, this sounds so valuable, Sonia. I'm just thinking about all the times where like, I have some friends who are like influencers and they were like, this brand approached me and it was just like the weirdest thing. Like they asked for something weird, like they didn't know what they were talking about. And I don't want to like embarrass any brands for doing that. Cause I think reaching out like authentically is so sweet and whatever, but like at the same time, it is their job. A lot of these people. So they're like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, I hear wild things on both ends, right? I'm still close friends with a lot of influencers because I've been in the business for a long time. And I hear a lot of wild things that they get offered, things that people ask, payment issues, contract issues, so many things. And also on the other end, when I'm executing contracts, And when I'm executing on behalf of clients, I see crazy things that influencers think that they can do. They don't deliver on time. They deliver with brand name spelling errors. It's truly wild. So I think there is just like a distaste on both sides sometimes. And I think it's really just like lack of knowledge. You know, there's always new young brands or new young people in the space that are starting to execute and they just don't have the experience behind them. And they don't know that sending a lipstick and asking for a post is kind of like really shitty thing to do you know it's it really is like I cannot stress enough how cheap you look if you dm someone who has a following or anything is just like if they trade you this product can you send us some photos like it's just so embarrassing and I've said that before in meetings and people are like oh people do it all the time first of all people do a lot of things all the time like doesn't make it right. Yeah, exactly. So for sure. Yeah. We have a lot of strict standards in terms of what we allow in our marketing campaigns, especially when it comes to influencers and gifting to guarantee content is not something that we do. I know that there are firms out there that will do it. I never require someone to do something unless there's payment. 
Now, is it like, are you open to doing it in advance before I send it? We can use that wording. You know, could you at least give us feedback? Would you be open to writing a review? I think that there's a lot of steps in between asking for something back for free that are brand building and client building steps that we can suggest for people who just don't have the budget to write off the bat pay for people. And I get that. It's tough out there. There's a lot of money that's involved in marketing a product and running a brand and all go towards paying influencers. But we also have to be realistic that everybody has a life that requires money. Yeah. Well, and to the point of what you're doing, I think in today's market, you know, digital costs are, are out of control. They just are. To advertise, even as a small brand, you can spend hundreds of thousands of dollars and not really see a return at all, or at least be doing things that you don't really understand. Like I know I've seen people spend like $100,000 on remarketing and I'm like, you already have these people. So let's just calm down with that kind of money, you know, for something like that. So I think there's this also the side of like social proof. This is a very authentic way to farm social proof. But in today's marketing mix, where does this fit in? Like, is it the most important thing? The second most? Where should a brand categorize that in their channel? Like mix of channels. Sure. I think the answer to that really starts with who is the consumer first. There are certain consumers that react more strongly to influencer marketing, and there are other consumers who do not. So I think you have to start there and really dissect the consumer that you're going after. Do they look to influencers as part of their decision-making strategy. And some people do. And, you know, that's fantastic. Then great. Influencer is where you should be putting a lot of cards. But some people really do not as heavily. I think a lot of Gen Z is like very tricky when it comes to influencers. So if that is truly where the core of your consumer is, a traditional influencer may not be for you. It may be more people who are popular on TikTok that have a more conversational tone. They don't push a lot of stuff. They're not going to talk about the benefits and the ingredients. They're going to say like, I got this cool shit and I love it. And then like a million people will come by it. It's very strange. It's just crazy to me. I feel like, you know, like marketing 101 would tell you like, talk about features and benefits, talk about this. And I see all the time on TikTok, people even just doing weird shit, like pulling out, like slapping products or whatever. And then people are like, oh, this is the coolest thing I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. I mean, it's really wild. I think it's just a wild time in marketing altogether, but definitely in like the beauty and wellness industry, it's a wild time. So yeah, I think it definitely starts with that. I do think at some point you will need some form of influencer marketing with your brand. Not every brand needs it early on for sure. Others can wait till later, but eventually you reach a tipping point, right? Where your certain marketing efforts are no longer doing it. Maybe you need more cold acquisition. I think that's like a great place to consider influencer marketing, right? If the more people who are talking about the brand and directing people to your website or your Instagram, that may not close the purchase right there. It actually is quite rare that that direct traffic would convert, but it will increase the number of people who you can then retarget very quickly. So it is a great option then. (laughs) There's been so many influencer fails. This is one of my favorite things, you know, to follow you on, because I think you talk about a lot and you talk about it well. You know, one of the things that I think you've done really well is put this middle ground in between like treating influencers and creators fairly and also them treating brands fairly. It's hard to find even mix. The PR agencies that you've worked with in the past, they're like, because the brands are paying them, right? So they're like, we need them to do this and they're pushing, pushing, pushing. 
but there's been a lot, you know, and to your point with TikTok and, and things where there's this more conversational style and social media of people being able to share these bad experiences, like almost immediately. Maybe let's start with Revolve because it just happened. And this is so good, not good for the people, but like I watched some of these videos and like, people are pushing, people are shoving. Like it just got, it's crazy how much things can turn into like a hunger game situation when you deprive people of like basic rights. But tell us what happened at Revolve Fest. Sure. So Revolve Fest happens every year around Coachella and Revolve is very notorious for casting a very wide net of influencers, thousands most likely to come to this event. They offer them a stipend of clothing from a very specific wardrobe on their site in exchange for them to do an ungodly list of requirements. And every year, I think people are going to say no, but they don't. They say yes. (laughs) So what ended up happening was they onboarded way more people than I think that they could accommodate for. Plus, they allowed them each to bring a plus one. In previous years, they had just a drop-off zone at the festival. This year, I was not there personally, so I don't know if they moved the location or if there was just different rules, but they decided to offer a shuttle service. Fine. However, the shuttle service was not on time. There wasn't enough shuttles for everyone. In California, at Coachella, it is... In the desert. It is extremely hot. I can only imagine all of these influencers dressed up to the nines and just like melting, completely melting. There wasn't water. There wasn't enough security. And I've heard some people say it wasn't as bad as people led on to believe. And then other people said it was worse. So I'm sure it really depends on like what time you got there, where you were in line, what else was going on. Because I know people who went and had a great time time and I know people who were miserable. So I think it's just, it's sad to me, number one, that a company that has so much notoriety, especially in the influencer marketing space, they've been in this game a long time, that they offer this opportunity, quote unquote, for no money. That's sad to me. Now, if you are going to target a lot of micro influencers in exchange for just product, that's within your rights. And if they say yes, and they sign that contract, that's within their rights. (laughs) But I think at that point, it is your responsibility to take care of the amount of people you have coming. It's just like any other large scale event. If you know that 3000 influencers have said yes, that they're coming, you need to have water, buses, transportation, et cetera, for 3000 influencers. (laughs) I love that we have to say water. Like it's like not a basic human right. Like don't turn your event into the Thunderdome. That's influencer 101. A lot of people said, oh, this is like fire festival. Okay. There is a difference. Fire festival happened one time and they clearly logistically did not have their shit together. But Revolve Festival, I think that this is number five or six, maybe more. So it's not like this is their first time around the block, like they've never thrown a major global event before. They have. So I was really shocked to see that they didn't have it much more streamlined, like everyone knowing where they're going, resources aplenty. I was really shocked to see it. It's very sad. And like, you always have to account for like, when you have large groups of people, this mob mentality that even just doing simple things wrong, people will start to riot and get like upset and freaked out. And like, especially if I'm trapped in the desert, like, you know, I, this is one of the times there's been many times with influencers where I've been like, okay, I could kind of see 
some different sides of the whole thing or whatever. And this is one where it looked, it looked pretty bad. I mean, to treat some even ABC listers, not well for an event that they were supposed to go to and have fun. is just like really, 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 really bad. For sure. I mean, yeah, at the end of the day, like these are all human beings, no matter how many followers they have, (laughs) like they were all there to support your company essentially for free. So to me, it's like, you'd almost be bending over backwards more so to give them a great experience because they did agree to do this crazy list of deliverables. I think they're saying like, I have the list somewhere, but it's like for TikToks, for Reels, seven Instagram posts. Like it's pretty extensive for $200 or $2,000 worth of product. So it's pretty crazy to me. It's more crazy to me that people are still saying yes to that deliverable list. If it was like, come and post whatever you think is appropriate, but you have to post something and here's the clothing that you get. I feel like that's decent. Then it's up to you it into your schedule, how you fit it in, but there's like, give this such a strict list. It's, it's pretty wild to me. Yeah. And I feel like if people are having a good enough time and it fits their brand well enough, like you would post anyway, like I rarely go anywhere and don't post on Instagram and I'm not being paid to do that. You know, yeah. whenever I'm having fun, put a drink in my hand, I'll post all the stories. <laughs> That's all I need. Has Revolve made a statement? Has the PR team said anything? I have not seen any statements made. I haven't seen one either. And this isn't the first time they've been under fire for their influencer marketing practices. And I don't recall there being a great statement made the last time either. So they may just say nothing and I call it a day like many brands do. Like pretend it doesn't matter and wait for the new cycle to flush out and keep moving on. Because I think what's even more unfortunate is that this continues to happen for this brand and people still buy from them. There's no slowing down. You know, and I've had so many feelings lately because I love Revolve. I have since it came out. Like Revolve has been like, if you need an outfit, first of all, they ship super fast. So that's like a thing, you know, without you doing Express. But like with the brands that they have, it's most millennial fashion brands that you'd buy in either like high tier and some lower tier like malls and things. So like you can get pretty much anything and you can get something within your price point. And when they started doing beauty, though, I don't know how much of like a core part of their revenue stream it is. I still like when I see brands on Revolve, I'm like, dang, and they're just taking some like indie brands. Like I think as a brand, I love Revolve. And now I want to stop shopping there. Like I'm, I'm bummed about this. Like I just, you know, I think we're all scarred from the Firefest thing. And I think People in general are just tired of like, you think people get treated better because they have influence and they have whatever. So you're like, oh, they represent Revolve. Like that's got to be a great place or whatever. And they're like mini employees who could treat like shit. And that sucks. Like, it's just such a bummer. I also want to talk about this pharmacy thing because you brought this up via email. We thought, I thought about doing youth to the people because I love the brand. Another big fail, this diversity thing. I just don't understand how this is still an issue and it just keeps happening. It's just really not that hard. Like to talk about use of the people for just a second. A lot of ethnic, you know, and BIPOC influencers were the first big makeup artists online and like skin influencers. So I don't know how this is still happening. Like so many people I follow are like not white yet. All their events are white. (laughs) It's just like really not great. It's really wild to me as well, because we will get a lot of brands that are like, yeah, we want to make sure we cast with diversity. I'm like, yeah, like we, that is like our number one thing. But sometimes the diversity like really stops at a certain point. 
it's like, okay, we have a few people who are not white. That seems good. But there's not like a lot of plus size influencers. They don't consider any men or people who may identify as they, them. It gets a little bit strange to me. And I understand you want to represent your consumer in the marketing practices, right? So you may not cast someone who is in their 50s because you're really going for like a teen element, sure. But at the same time, you see people who are hawking anti-aging products and they don't have a wrinkle to be found. They're in their early 20s. And so, and those anti-aging products are very severe. It's not the very early steps of like, start taking care of your skin now before you have damage. We're talking like you're trying to reverse major wrinkles. So it is wild to me what people consider to be diverse in terms of a cast. But it's just sad to see that it has to go all the way to being called out publicly for there to be change. It's brutal. I want to talk about this pharmacy thing really quick before we move on. I feel like we're going to run out of time. I thought I was going to be able to fit so much into this episode. We'll have to come back and do consumers because my favorite piece of this is like talking about how consumers can find authenticity, you know, in these relationships brands have. But I want to talk about this thing because this pharmacy thing. So people get a letter from pharmacy. They're part of the ambassador program. And the letter is like to the effect of like, thank you so much for all the work you've done. We're kind of moving a different direction with our program. It's more about sales and less about us essentially giving you free stuff. We're going to put you on our PR list to get some stuff if you want some stuff, but you're no longer like in very clear cutting ties. You're not part of this program anymore. Mm -hmm. How does this happen? What went wrong? What could have been done differently? So I think what happened here is pretty clear. They must have an affiliate marketing program, right? So these ambassadors are part of an affiliate group, which means that they're given the product with their specific codes and links each month to promote pharmacy. And then people should be purchasing with those codes and links. And pharmacy can track all of that activity. From what I understand, pharmacy never gave the creators any sort of guidelines in terms of, by the way, if after three months or so, we aren't seeing X amount of sales, you'll no longer be in the program because clearly it isn't working out, which is common. That's not unheard of that you test it out. You see how it goes. If the person is unable to convert or perhaps their followers just are not interested in this product or they have too many other collaborations going on, you just cut ties. But it seems like that was never communicated. It seems like the head of the program of this influencer affiliate network was very unprofessional, did not communicate well, They were in a Slack group channel where messages were being deleted. They felt unheard. It seems like people had done a lot of promotion for the brand. And although some of their promotions didn't convert, there was never first step in phasing out this program, right? If I was pharmacy, I would have said, okay, we want to phase out a lot of our affiliate and we're going to focus on something else. The first step is going to be to tell the people in the bottom percentage that over the next month or so, if we aren't seeing sales, Unfortunately, we're going to have to end the partnership and that we've loved working with them. Is there anything else that we can do together? Some sort of initial notice before you just cut ties. And then also some of these people are converting and they're being shown that they convert on this very high level, but it's almost putting down the people who aren't converting from the emails that I saw. It was very much like shouting out these top three incredible people and then telling everyone that they should be like them, which feels very MLM to me, (laughs) very creepy and sticky. So 
I just think it was probably got to a point where it was put way too much on the business on the ROI and not enough on, hey, these people have given you support for free, essentially, because they're only making commission for a long period of time. We need to respect that and keep them as part of the community or let them go slowly with information as to what's going on and what's going to be happening over the next couple of months. No, 100%. You're right about this too much on the revenue. First of all, you talked about tracking the ROI of of influencer creators. It's incredibly hard. You know, with iOS 14 and 15, it's become even harder to track social media and things like that. So like, we should never think about things in just a dollar sense because we are building a brand. But you're right. The sentence where they say we have to never forget the business. I don't know what I'd say to that. I'd be like, okay, well, I also don't want to forget that I have a house I have to pay for and kids and whatever. Like, I don't know what to say to that. Like everybody obviously needs money. That's not like, you don't need to say that to people. It's rude. It's super rude. (laughs) Is there like a lasting impact on the brand? I mean, I think like you said it best yourself. It's like surprising that people still shop at certain places. I know not all of these are like as widely known if you're not in the industry, But some of them have gone on over time. You know, there's been chronic issues. There's been chronic things. And I think, you know, we get into this, like, this gray area of, like, people being over canceled, you know, and then people are like, okay, well, it's just the next time someone's upset about so-and-so. Yeah, I don't know if it's going to make a lasting impact on the business directly. I think, unfortunately, what happens is that it makes, like, a secondary impact on influencer marketing as a whole. People who are running really great affiliate networks and are offering high commissions, they are converting people from commission to upfront fees, you know, they have a really great program going on. Influencers in the future, when they get that offering, they're like, no, they remember that bad taste of working with someone and it not working out and then them being treated in a poor way. And they're not going to want to do that type of marketing anymore, which is unfortunate because for small indie brands, that is the first step in for a lot of people. They say, I can't pay upfront but I'm happy to give you a commission if you sell anything. And then after a certain period of time, if you are selling stuff, I'd be happy to talk about paying upfront. At least that's my recommendation of how these programs should be working and how we run them for our clients. That there should be a scale option here for everyone, not just for the brand. You can't just keep asking for free, free, free forever. Eventually you're gonna have to come back and say, hey, guess what? you've sold X, Y, and Z, or we are obsessed with your content because of X, Y, and Z. We'd love you to pay. We'd love to pay you upfront to do this other type of partnership. And that's how we identify who's a good fit for the brand. Cause there has to be a starting point. It doesn't just go from zero to a thousand. So it is unfortunate, but I don't think in the grand scheme of things that it will slow down pharmacies sales because most consumers will never see this, but I think that influencers will be highly affected in terms of what type of partnerships they'll say yes to in the future. That sounds like a big impact. (laughs) It actually sounds really bad. How can my listeners support you? Because I love what you're doing, Sonia. I love your reels. I love your TikToks. How can people support you and, and your services and what you're doing? Well, if you are an influencer in the beauty industry or looking to get into the beauty industry, I definitely recommend that you follow me on TikTok or Instagram. I'm always dropping helpful hints on how to improve. And I've been playing around with like doing a little meetup to help people out more directly. So that's one way that you can follow along and chat. And I have discovered many great talents in my comments and DMs that I pass on to my brands when it's a fit. So feel free to reach out. And if you are an indie brand and you are looking to work together, I have very 
reasonably priced 30 minute and one hour packages where we can chat just about your influencer marketing strategy, just about your social media strategy, pretty much hyper target any area of your business, drill down on it and get you going on your way kind of with a bit more of a senior view on how to execute on some of these things that you might feel lost on. So you can find that on my website. That's beautiful, Sonia. And also take a look at, at Sonia. She's a new guest host. She's a new permanent host, right? Um, yeah. On, on Brand Meets Creator. Awesome podcast. I listened to a couple episodes. Fantastic. And Sonia's got a great personality. Super oh, funny. So definitely so take much. a listen. <laughs> I want you to come back because I want to do this later, but we're out of time today, guys. Thank you so much for listening. Definitely give Sonia a follow. Check out her brand. She's done some amazing work. And I hope everybody has a lovely Tuesday. 